0: my big brother Mike's egoless philosophy. My brother stood before me like a god. I worshiped his affections as only a younger brother could do. He scorned my overzealousness as only an older brother should. I listened in awe as he calmly but strongly defined a new set of goals in life. He had become absolutely his new ideals. I was only 14 he was 17. I was very impressionable, and he was very con- convinced. The new philosophy that he now obtained was absolutely correct. At least he told me it was. There was no need for argument. I, I loved my brother and revered any advice, but I always felt that I needed to argue. I always felt that no matter how true his words, I had to offer my hypothetical retaliation. Anticipating my defense, Mike... This time it has to be different, because there is no argument. I'm going to explain the value of non-ego existence. I'd like you to just listen, not argue, or interrupt. I immediately got defensive, but I kept quiet. Michael began to explain the egoless philosophy in a slow, careful way. You will see, Gary, someday, that you will never be satisfied unless you rid yourself of your ego Ego is the source of all problems. What is ego, Mike? I asked. Ego is the force within you that makes you want to be better than anyone else. It's the reason by which a man might measure himself in order to feel important in your case, (laughs) Carrie. It's the reason you have to argue all the time. I don't argue all the time, Mike. I blurted. But the sound of my own defense brought truth to his words. I'm sorry, go ahead. Tell me more, Mike. It is simple, Gary. You must seek to abolish your ego. It will take a long time, but it'll be worth it. Don't I need some ego to feel good about myself? I asked. No, you only need to be one with the universe and egoless. Then you will feel as good about yourself as anyone can. It is hard to believe that a 17-year-old upper-middle-class son of a Jew could have made such spiritual findings. A Buddhist idea had obviously penetrated his religious and cultural background. The idea of being one with the universe was new to me. It was becoming a common conversation among the quasi Buddhist hippie types that Mike and a lot of his friends were becoming back in 1967. Mike wore long hair and beads. He tried to be mellow all the time. My parents wouldn't begin to understand what he was going through. I was having difficulty too, but anything that my parents were against was okay to me. I was looking for an argument. This new way of life that I had only caught a glimpse of in the news was sweeping the young generation and now my brother was taking part. Mike seemed really bent on explaining the egoist philosophy. I really wanted to agree with him because I didn't want him to claim, I just wanted to argue, so I listened. It made a lot of sense to me that people really tried to prove themselves in front of other people. That was the sense of a lot of people feeling like failures. If people didn't worry so much about what other people thought, they might find it easier to relax. However, I found it hard to agree with the philosophy that one should abolish ego altogether. I thought ego was self-image. Everyone had to have good self-image or they would be totally unaware of their attributes. Mike assured me that it was Selflessness that could be attained through loss of ego. It was self. It was only selflessness that could lead to becoming one with the universe. Becoming one with the universe would mean tranquility and harmony with all creations. I'm not selfish, Michael. I said, because I was getting confused. I wasn't so sure I wanted to be one with the universe anyway. I didn't want to be tranquil. That sounded boring. Self not selfish, Gary. There's a difference. Don't be fooled by what you think you want because of TV and hype. There is more to life to be gained from loss of ego than anything you have known. But you have plenty of time, Gary, to think about it. I didn't argue. It was obvious that Mike had become a new type of person. He was just smiled and flashed the peace sign I could feel the last American bullet peeking out. The little town of Pelham, New York in 1967 was one of the few but typical areas where the hippie culture was blossoming. Of course, everyone knows the hippie generation started in San Francisco. But rich little suburban towns like Pelham is where it grew to awesome proportions large enough, in fact, that its effect could be felt around the world. In my family, my older brother, Mike, was first to be involved with this new counterculture. I was too young to understand the cause and effect. But if my older brother was in it, I wanted to be in it too. After Mike finished explaining the egoist philosophy, my mother told him to leave my room because it was getting late. The next day was the first day of school. After our summer vacation, I had to go to sleep. Mike got up to leave the room. He had to begin packing for his trip to college, which he was starting in a few days. I'll finish tomorrow, Gary, when we can talk more. I have a surprise for you, too. He left me in suspense. I had a hard time getting to sleep that night. I wondered what the surprise could be. I also couldn't quite fathom the whole egoless philosophy concept. I really wanted to be the superstar of the gymnastics team like Mike was. But now, he seemed to be telling me that my ego was controlling me. I had to change. I think I got more confused than ever. But the words my brother spoke stayed in my mind for the rest of my life. I never found out exactly where he got his hippie insights from, but it didn't matter all at the time. It seemed to me now... That time in American history is when the society was first showing the signs of spiritual and cultural infiltration by a variety of outside religions, especially Eastern ways. At least it was the first time for me, my family, and friends. The following day was the first day of school I was entering ninth grade. It was exciting for me, and all the other kids that ran crazily through the halls of Pelham High School We could care less about the teacher's rules. If they couldn't see us, they wouldn't know who did it. We had a ball. I could feel the last American bullet peeking out again. Chapter 9. Daydreaming through Pelham High School. The thing I learned how to do best in high school was to daydream and cause trouble. I was good at it, but there was a few other kids who could do it better. I'm glad now that I never got as good as they did but it sure was fun. Only the few kids that really wanted to be in school really saw the purpose of the day-to-day schedule. The rest of us just lived for the loopholes. We were convinced that we were the smart ones. It's funny, but that's how public school work. I went home the first day thinking that the new year in ninth grade was going to be the best yet, mostly because of how much I thought I'd get away with. Most of the teachers that I got that year fit on the rating scale that we all used. Old nag to real drag. There was one teacher that year I couldn't wait to tell my brother that I had. This teacher didn't fit on any of the scales. He had a mustache and longish hair. And all the other kids, like my brother, talked about his being hip and with it. He had the influences of that hippie counterculture that all the young kids were getting interested in. His name was Mr. Hart. It was the first year that I ever looked forward to going to English class, or school for that matter. When I got home, I yelled, Mike, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. I slammed the front door of my house and threw my books on the floor. When I got to the bottom of the steps, I looked up and I saw Mike standing at the top. Shh! said and motioned me to come upstairs. I froze and suddenly remembered the surprise. Oh, what a glorious day of surprises. I quietly followed Mike up to the third floor of our house, where he led me into his bedroom. I was rarely allowed in. I could never get enough time in his room. I felt really cool and accepted now. With his mysterious invitation, for some reason I knew that it was the beginning of a new relationship between my brother and me. He closed the door behind us and sat down at his desk. I want to show you something that you may or may not already know, Gare. Mike was smiling again, as if he had the secrets of the world. This is marijuana, and I think you might like to try it. With that, he opened up his drawer. He pulled out a homemade water pipe and some grass. I was shocked. I had heard of it, but I had never seen it. It was becoming the craze. I had always preferred to remain in the dark about it because it scared me so much, because some of my wild friends were experimenting with it, but I hadn't really talked about it much with them. Mike assured me that it was the harmless and a lot of good fun, but should be always treated with respect. A lot of people were smoking for the wrong reasons. He wanted to be the one to introduce me to the correct smoking etiquette. I was hesitant to try for a minute or so, but since I smoked cigarettes, I trusted Mike. I started to reach for the pipe. Mike pushed my hand away. That's the first thing that I want you to learn about, he said again, very gently at this time. When smoking, you should never be too grabby. Always wait your turn. Try not to be uncool. All the words like groovy and cool, hip and mellow were beginning to really penetrate the language that year. My brother had picked up on all the lingo. I suppose my desire to live up to my brother's standards were a large part of my willingness to get involved with this new experiment. But even back then I felt it was more than just juvenile delinquency or peer pressure that led my brother and me down this new path in life. Mike explained how to inhale and hold it in. He lit the pipe, I felt euphoric. Before I even inhaled, I really felt a new world open up. Mike was teaching me something that only a chosen few got to know about. I felt very honored to be part of this new Mind Expansive program. My brother included me in any of his adventures was almost enough by itself to make me feel heavenly. But this was definitely something special. I now was going to be part of a new society, a new counterculture, with the secret rituals. The pipe was lit, the water gurgled. I sucked in the smoke from the rubber hose that was attached to the top of the pipe. What am I going to feel, I asked after I lit out my first toke of grass. You're going to feel good, Derry, but you've got to hold it in longer. Watch. He took a long puff from the bubbling water pipe. He held it deep in his lungs for a long, good 10 or 15 seconds. When he released the smoke, he breathed a smile of satisfaction. This stuff tastes a lot better than that tobacco weed, doesn't it? I agreed and tried not to be too grabby. I waited for him to pass me the pipe again. As I was taking another puff from the pipe, I happened to recognize the pipe as a familiar object. It was a Pyrex test tube flask, from science class with a rubber stopper and glass tubing stuck in the top. I can't believe it, Mike. Did you get this from school? He nodded. I passed the pipe. How did you get it, you sneak? I asked. I told the science teacher that I had an experiment at home to perform. We both laughed. It's true enough, isn't it, Carrie? I agreed. Remember, never lie. It's bad karma. What's karma, Mike? I asked. I took another tote from the water pipe karma is the law of the universe everything you put out will return so if you lie you will return to lie it is simple as that it didn't seem very simple to me are you feeling anything gary yes i think so but i didn't feel a thing i look out the window my turned around to look over the long sound which is right off our yard and plainly visible from the window Don't things seem somehow clearer to you now, more colorful? All your senses should be feeling more distinct. Yes, I feel it, I think, but I still didn't feel a thing. Come over here and stick out your head out the window. I'll put on a record. Mike went to the stereo. He turned on Led Zeppelin's first album, Full Blast. I stuck my head out the window. Mike stuck his head out, too. He looked at me and said, Do you feel it? I looked out the backyard and over the trees. And then, then over the water into the islands and buoys that stretched out as far as the eye could see the music was blaring but it made me feel comfortable Robert Plant's voice seemed to be in tune with my heartstrings. the air seemed fresher than ever before most of, most of all I felt closer to Mike than I ever had he seemed to be treating me as an equal now I really felt like an equal I was sure that Mike and I were doing was good and healthy The feeling of power was overwhelming, it was similar to the power one could achieve from self-confidence, but it was more than that, I felt a divine sense of purpose that justified my existence. I felt above the world and in control, I felt like I had power to be what I wanted, and that whatever I was, was better than just good, it was the only way to be. What I didn't feel was anything physical, I wasn't sure if I was feeling stoned or just feeling good from the situation. Perhaps I was getting more stoned off the acceptance and love for my brother than from the grass. None of the feelings that I had were very obvious to me. I felt good, I knew that, but I had felt good when I walked in his room. I feel real good, Mike, I said. Don't you feel real tingly and warm and real high, he asked. Yeah, man, really, I said. But I didn't feel that either. (laughs) When Mike walked over to turn the record over, I pulled my head inside the window. Hey, Mike, I almost forgot to tell you. You won't believe who my English teacher is. Who? Mr. Hart. Isn't that unreal? I searched Mike's face for a sign of surprise. He just smiled nice and slowly. That's groovy, man. Tom is a cool guy. Say hello to him for me. I was a little burnt that Mike took it so casually. Well, I will, Mike, do you think that I could call him Tom, too? Some of the guys say he's, he gets stoned. Do you think he does, Mike? Did you ever ask him? I don't think you should call him anything except Mr. Hart, till you know him as well as I do. I don't think the other faculty members regard his relationship with the students too highly. He's a bit ahead of his time, and they think he's a rebel of sorts. Mike Mike. hesitated to talk more of Mr. Hart. It seemed that he felt sort of protected towards the infamous English teacher
1: who roamed
0: the halls of Pelham High with long hair, boots, and bell bottoms. A lot of the seniors, like my brother, who had graduated from the summer last year, had become pretty close to Tom. They considered him a leader in the Cultural Revolution, and they called it a hero among students because he was so in tune and what the students really wanted, Mike told me not to worry about Mr. Hart getting stoned or not, and to just be happy that he was my teacher. I was very happy when Mike and I walked out of the room. I felt like a completely different person, a new person. I was now part of the in crowd. Mike took me for a drive over to his friend's house. I listened while they talked It seemed like a lot of Mike's friends Were getting ready to go to college In different states Everyone was making final farewells And best wishes One of Mike's friends Who was affectionately called Plum Fairy Came over and sat next to me He started talking As if I was an old friend So what do you think Gary About the cute chicks in your class Wow I'd been going bonzo over a couple of them I was smiling ear to ear because I love talking about, or anything about girls. But I also couldn't believe how easy Plump Fairy was making me feel. He was one of my older brother's best friends who was treating me like an equal. I couldn't believe it seemed just smoking dope with my brother was the beginning of new friendships and the destruction of the age barrier and usually hindered me from hanging out with my brother's friends. Older kids never liked to have the younger kids hanging around, except for scapegoat reasons. However, Plum really seemed to enjoy being with me. We talked for an hour about all the gorgeous chicks in my class. Later on last that year, high school, the marijuana hippie types formed many parties, musical events, and coffee houses. Basically, a large group of friends of all ages that all re- reveled in their newfound culture. Not everyone in this group of dope smokers was concerned with the egoless philosophy that my brother talked of. However, most of the kids did develop an affinity for the abstract of metaphysical thought patterns of some sort. It was a time in America when young people would band together with common feelings and sense of humor that developed among these kids that is hard to identify. But nonetheless prevalent, a lot of the kids adopted new names like Plum Fairy did. The goal, I guess, was to transcend one's past and be able to look at at your parents and laugh at their ignorance. Rather than fight against their rules, everyone sought to be somewhat saintly. Peace and love were the slogans. Even though it was sometimes pretentious, everyone tried to be very mellow and accepting of each other. Almost everyone was under the illusion that we were a special gifted new society, with each member having ability to deny roots of family and past. I don't think of any of us thought of ourselves as children. We were more like pioneers. It was a beautiful phenomenon while it lasted, perhaps one of the greatest sociological phenomena mankind will ever see. Gary, my father said, if I get you your own horse, your very own horse, you go to Fountain Valley School in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I graduated when I was your age I had my own horse there and would you do that son would you like to go to Fountain Valley School Fountain Valley School wow that'd be cool dad I'd love that that'd be awesome my own horse I'd be so cool on my own horse I'll take a Palomino please a big yellow Palomino horse with your saddle of course And with that, I got prepared to go to Fountain Valley School in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and leave Pelham Memorial High School far behind. When I arrived in the Colorado Springs airport, it was easy to see who among all the hustle and bustle of the terminal buildings were fellow students. We were landing in small groups from all over the country. It was exciting, all the young boys with tennis rackets and cassette decks and skis and poles and trunks and their names stenciled on, all converging on the same destination as me. I looked at their faces and wondered which ones of them were going to be my new friends. It didn't take me long to be able to spot returning students from the newcomers like me. A lot of the boys knew each other, obviously, from the year before, I stood at the back claim, a little nervous in my two-piece suit and tie, waiting for my luggage. I watched a lot of handshaking and back-slapping as old friends recognized each other and paired off dragging each other's luggage out to nearby taxis in three or four to a cab and once speeding off to FBS campus. It wasn't long before my trunk double back I had used so many years at summer camps came into view. The familiar name stenciled on the side, always made me feel warm inside, and brought to mind all the memories of places it had been with me. I didn't want to appear stupid and give a bad first impression to the older boys that were already organizing themselves in groups, and driving off in cabs. I didn't ask where or what I should do. I stood inside the terminal for a minute with all my luggage and looked around and just observed. I was used to the dangers of social cliques and developed between older campers and new kids. I tried to be real careful about whose attention I grabbed. It was obvious that the social structure of older versus younger was prevalent in this new life I was entering. There were signs of the hierarchy visible in the first 20 minutes of contact with my new schoolmates. It wasn't long before the older and returning students were gone in the first pick of taxi cabs and the new and younger students stood confused and lost. I looked at a kid who seemed about as green as I did, and I said, Hey man, I guess we ought to just get a cab and tell them to take us to Fountain Valley School, right? Sure, I guess so. I heard there's a bus coming to pick us up, take us to the campus, said another young, younger kid, who looked really prippy in suit for Brooks Brothers. Well shit, I ain't waiting. I'm taking a cab, said the boy I was first talking to. I'll go with you, I said and piled our luggage into the next cab that came. We were both smiling and both of us knew that the other was equally in the dark. We were new kids in town. We had to be very careful not to appear green. It was the most important thing on my mind for the first few days of school. I wanted to be accepted as soon as possible and my overzealousness for the result sometimes caused the opposite reaction. When I got to FES campus, the cab meter read $9.35. It was beautiful It was a beautifully scenic drive from the airport, and I didn't mind the money at all. I was in awe of the terrain and the bright sky. As I pulled my luggage out of the cab, I looked around at my new home. A big sign that read Penrose was in plain view above my head at the outside wall of the dormitory that I was standing in front of. I paid the money to the cabbie, and he drove off. The kid that was with me started dragging his luggage toward the door of the dormitory. Couldn't believe he hadn't even offered to help pay for the cab. I was going to say something. Hey, you spoiled brat. Spring for that dough. But before I could say, I was interrupted by a bearded man about six feet tall with a clipboard. Welcome aboard. What's your name? Gary Lavinson. What is yours? Mr. Severance. And it looks like I've got you here in my dorm. He glanced at his clipboard. You have room 24 on the second floor. Go head up. Thanks a lot. Is there anyone around that can help me with carrying my luggage? You'll just have to ask some of your new schoolmates, Gary. I'm a little too busy. Hey, Mike Currier, come over here. Give this guy a hand. Mike came running over. He was a real skinny blonde kid with buck-toothed teeth and a goofy grin. And he was wearing a full gray engineer's jumpsuit, and he looked funny. As Mr. Severance walked away, he said, Sure, Mr. Severance, I'll help. He looked at me and smiled. It was a swirl of activity. With all the arrivals of new and old students, it was a very exciting, everyone was meeting everyone real fast. i Mike, what's your name? Gary, I'm from New York, where are you from? Minnesota, and I'd like to hear a lot better. This place is fucked up, but you'll get used to it. How long have you been here? This is my fourth year, my last, thank God. Hey, you know, you look real familiar to me. I've got this feeling I've met you before. We stopped halfway to the entrance of the dorm and dodged parents and teachers and students and luggage as we both stood frozen in a discerning gaze on each other. Hey, you look kind of familiar to me, too. Have you ever been to Minnesota? No, man. But I think I just realized where you and I met. Where, man? Where? He was a comical-looking guy, and his excitement amused me. I started to laugh, and he acted even more comical and roared with laughter. Where? 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 He kept repeating like a puppy. It was strangely hilarious and it took me a minute to calm down. Mike started to laugh along with me, but when I said the words Big Spring Ranch, he stopped laughing. Did you go to Big Spring? He gulped. Yep, I knew it. Now I remember you. You were the kid that punched my little brother in the stomach at a baseball game five years ago. I felt like I, sh- I should be really angry, but it was so long ago that I couldn't really get mad. I did, he said and tried to cut I can't remember, but I guess you ought to take revenge. If it's true, go ahead. I'm ready. Punch me in the stomach. He threw his arm in the air and closed his eyes, stuck out his stomach. He looked ridiculous, and I roared with laughter. Obviously, he wasn't the bully he once had been. I'm not going to hit you, man. Remember me? I'm Gary Lavinson. I can't believe we're meeting like this. It's good to see a friendly face. I'm feeling like kind of lost. Hey, don't worry, man. I'll show you around. Hey, was your brother named Michael? Yeah, but he's my older brother. You punched my little brother, Peter.